Please then tonight to the Old Testament, First uh, Samuel chapter 25. I will just give you a moment or two to find that and hold your place there. First Samuel chapter 25. And we are continuing tonight, as I said this morning, uh, with a series of notable women of the Bible. And uh, tonight we want to look at Abigail. Now before we begin reading 1 Samuel 25, and we will do that in a moment, I just want to give you some uh, backdrop, background to the story. If ever there was a mismatched couple, surely it was Abigail and Nabal. This was a loveless, joyless marriage. Beautiful, gracious, very wise woman married to a brute of a husband and a drunkard to boot. Well, that made for an unhappy home. Nabal was as foolish as Abigail was wise. He was as arrogant and uncouth as Abigail was gracious and gentle. He was loud, opinionated, churlish, rude, generally an obnoxious character, whereas she was demure, tactful, mannerly. And above all, she was spiritual and she was godly. She's described in this chapter as a woman of good understanding. He's described as a fool, a foolish man. Now you may wonder how this terrible mismatch happened. Well, it's very simple. In those days, marriages were arranged. And obviously, Abigail's father, her name suggests that she would be the joy of her father. Uh, obviously, he looked at this Nabal, who was very, very wealthy, owned 300 sheep and 1,000 goats. Looked at him as a great catch for his daughter. A very wealthy son-in-law seemed uh, very appropriate to him. What a tragic mistake he made. So not only did she marry a fool, but her father acted very foolishly in setting up this uh, marriage. It was wrong choice, and it brought nothing but sadness and frustration into his beautiful daughter's life. How long this sham of a marriage lasted, we just don't know. But here in 1 Samuel 25, there is about to happen a dramatic turn of events. It's about to change everything in her life. David, at this point, he's in exile. He has deliberately distanced himself from King Saul, who in his insane jealousy wants to kill David and has tried on repeated occasions. He now knows that David has been chosen above him to be king over Israel, and he's vengeful and uh, murderous in his tent towards David. And at this time, David now has gathered around himself about 600 men. And these are fearless warriors, courageous soldiers. And they are encamped in this region of Carmel, which is just so happened to be where Nabal's grazing herds of flocks of uh, sheep and goats were. And because of that, uh, David took it upon himself uh, to protect them. 
He was in the area, and so he would act as a buffer uh, between Nabal's sheep and shepherds, and between any uh, rogue Philistines that would be in the area, any bandits, uh, anyone that would want to come and, and take some of the flock. But because David was there, and because he had a, a wonderful army of tremendous fighting men, uh, they dare not do that. And so David could have, if he wanted to, I suppose, he could have used his muscle uh, to take whatever sheep he wanted. He didn't have to ask for them because he was in a position of power with 600 men around him. He could have took any sheep. And I think it says a lot for David's leadership that, uh, that these 600, by the way, the Bible also describes them in other places, men who were, who were in debt and who were discontented, uh, people who were in distress, and so there were a, a wild kind of a bunch, could we say, that David was mustering and, and was marshalling into a great army. This was a nucleus of David's great army. Uh, and so to be able to keep that lot under control, I think, says much of David's leadership and much uh, of their loyalty towards David, that not one sheep was taken and not one shepherd was attacked. And so now it's come to the time of the year where the sheep are being sheared. And after the sheep are sheared, that would be traditionally a time of a great feast. Whoever would own the flocks, then he would hold a great feast. And so David, knowing that and knowing feast time had come, uh, he, uh, he sent some of his men to ask this very wealthy uh, landowner and shepherd, uh, could he spare some, some food? Uh, because David had 600 men to feed, and that's not so easy, particularly where they were living. They were living in caves and dens in the mountains, and rations were scarce, and, and they were hungry. And so he, he quite naturally uh, felt, well, we've been looking after this man's sheep, and surely if we asked nicely, he didn't have to ask at all, by the way. He could have took them if he wanted, but, you know, being polite and courteous, we'll send these young men, we'll ask nicely, and he'll give us some food to eat. Well... What happens next is a wonderful example of how a godly and gracious woman can make such a difference in a very volatile situation. And simply by using her wisdom and her feminine charms, and she must have had them in abundance, to be able to do that and stop this great king from staining his character because he was about to do something that was absolutely terrible. Uh, and thankfully that she was able to, to stop that. And so with that introduction, uh, let us then begin to look then uh, at chapter 25. Then Samuel died and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in, in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. And the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal. The name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. Now, by the way, she's one of the very few women in Scripture the Bible actually describes uh, her outer looks. And so she must have been outstandingly beautiful. And the Bible notes this. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. Old Matthew Henry said he 
may have owned Cable's estate, but he owned none of his virtues. And that was very true. And when David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him by name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace be to your house, peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shears. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them. Nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes. For when we come on a feast day, please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. So not only is that a, a very natural request to make under the circumstances, but it was done with the utmost decorum and politeness. Uh, the very wording of it is just beautiful. No demands. Asking nicely, politely. In fact, not even stipulating, could you give us 300 sheep? But saying, whatever comes to hand. We'll, we'll accept whatever you want to give us. So he couldn't have done it any better than that. Sure he couldn't. So when David's young man came, they spoke to Nabal according to all the words in the name of David and waited. And Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? Now he's not asking a question trying to find out who he is. He knows who he is. In effect, what he's saying is, who does he think he is? Who does this son of Jesse think he is? And so immediately you see there's such lack of respect for the office that David held, even though he was living in caves and dens at this time. But Nabal should have known that and probably did know that, but he just didn't care. This was an ungodly, uncouth, obnoxious, rude brute of a man who cared not for anybody, not even the very king that God had chosen, God's anointed. Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. Well, that was a low blow. That was a low blow. That was saying, you know, you're just a slave to King Saul and you've just broken away from him. Just the way a slave would do. Really nasty piece of work, this. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat I have killed from my shears and give them to men when I do not know where they are from? Well, this man is just, he's just, he's just an ignoramus, isn't he? That's what we would say. He's just a big mouth. So David's young men turned on their heels and went back. And they came and told him all these words. And David said to his man, to his men, every man gird on his sword. <laughs> I can just imagine them listening, these young men retail, retell the story. And you can see he wasn't very pleased, was he? Sadly, and almost tragically, He's about to make one of the biggest mistakes of his life. So every man girded on a sword, 
And David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David. And 200 stayed with the supplies. Hmm. Can't this be the same man who slew Goliath with a slingshot? Can this be the same man who with his own bare hands by himself killed a lion and a bear when he was just a young lad? But here he is, in the flesh, angry, incensed, in a rage, in a fit, unspiritual. All was in his mind was, I'm going to fix that rascal. He's insulted me. He's offended me. I'm going to deal with him. See, when he was in the spirit, and he went against Goliath that day, he just needed five little stones and a slingshot. That's all he needed. But here he is in the flesh, and he musters 400 men, can you imagine? <laughs> but that's what the flesh does, isn't it? The flesh takes an offense and it blows out of all proportion to what it really should be. And we get on such a high horse when we get offended, don't we? Now, of course, you're all too spiritual to be offended. But we do, don't we? And David was just a human being, and he did too. But because he was a leader... And because he was God's anointed, he wouldn't get away with this. There'd be consequences if he would do what he's thinking to do. And we as God's anointed, and I mean all of us, the children of God, we better be very, very careful how we handle offense because you will be offended. There's nothing sure. Live long enough, somebody will offend you. That's a given. How you deal with it is an entirely different thing. And so here he is with these 400 men. And now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But then the men were very good to us. We were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. They were as a wall to us both by day and night. All the time we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what you will do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. I mean, this man is, to have this man as your boss must have been a living nightmare. By the way, the word Caleb here also comes from a word meaning dog. And that's an apt description because he probably snarled at everybody all day long. And so this young man, he realizes there's no possible way I can go and talk to Nabal about this because he's just rude and ignorant. But I'll go to Abigail, his wife, because she's a gracious lady. We have watched her. We, we know that she's gentle. She is a true woman, a lovely lady. We'll, we'll go to her. 
and will say, look, we're in great danger here. What can you do about this? Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five seahs of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and loaded them on donkeys. And she said to her servants, go on before me. See, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. Well, she knew what he would say. And so very wisely, she just bypassed him. But she knew that her whole household was in danger. So it was as she rode on the donkey, and she went down under the cover of the hill. And there were David and his men coming down toward her, toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him. And he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so and more also to the enemies of David, if I leave but one meal of all who belong to him by morning light. Now David here is operating in the flesh. And what he's going to do here is extremely cruel. And God would not be pleased with this. Nabal was the offender, not his household, not all the meals under his care. But at that point, David was so raging, he didn't care. He was going to exact revenge, big time. He would teach this household a lesson they would never forget. That's his feeling at that moment. Now, aren't you glad if you have been offended and you're stewing and you're ripping over it, aren't you glad when somebody, God sends somebody your way to talk sense to you before you make a big mistake, before you dig that hole a lot deeper than you ever intended? Well, we're maybe not glad at the time, but we should be. And you'll find out that David was and so there she is, waiting, undercover. And she hears them and sees them. Verse 23, Now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed herself to the ground. And so she fell at his feet and said, On me, my Lord, on me let this iniquity be. Ah. Now, Knowing about David, assuming this is the first time she's ever met him in the flesh, but knowing about David, and knowing even though he was a great warrior, yet he was a man of compassion. And so, knowing that she was a woman, he was a great warrior man, and so she deferred to him and actually deflected the blame of all of this onto herself, feeling that he would look upon her more kindly than he would look upon Nabal. And she was right to do that. A little bit of feminine charm can go a long way. These ladies know that when you get a puncture. And you stand outside the car looking so helpless and so fragile for some man to come along <laughs> and change your way to I know there's maybe some of you, and that's a bit stereotypical, but there's maybe some of you can quite change away yourselves, thank you very much. But most of you, 
would prefer, even if you could not to, if you can get some man to do it for you. Now, come on, isn't that right? Am I hearing any amens? What? Well, you see, you don't want to admit. But you just use your feminine charms. Don't you get your way with us, don't you? Even though we say no a thousand times, eventually you get your way. Should you have to cry to do it? <laughs> but you get your way. <laughs> I'm in trouble tonight then. Aren't I? <laughs> no supper tonight, David. <laughs> Certain person in this church told me before the meeting started, he says, you haven't put the foot on it now for a couple of weeks. I'm okay, David. I'm all right. I'm, I'm resorted to type, haven't I? All right. But you see what she's doing here? She's trying to deflate the, the anger in David. It's going to be hard for him to be really, really angry at her. So she's like, you know, it, it's me. It's my fault. Of course, it wasn't her fault. Well, she knew it. But just to take the heat out of things for a little bit. On me, my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal. For as his name, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. Nabal's his name, folly's his game, she could have said. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed. Now this hadn't happened yet. Since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself by your own hand. Hmm. She's a very, very wise woman, this. She knows exactly what she's saying. Now then, let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. Let them be foolish men. And now, this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Ah. Did you see what she just did there? She just said to David, listen, David, you, you don't need to avenge yourself. God will be your avenger. Don't, don't avenge yourself. The Bible says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. He had forgotten that at that moment. And he's heat of fit of anger in the flesh. She'd totally forgotten all of that. But she was reminding them, very gently, just reminding them of what he should have known and what he did know, but he's not actually doing it. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord an enduring house because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Now, did you notice that? Let my Lord's house be an enduring house. There's people who wanted to end the house of David. Saul certainly did. He says, no, no, let your house be an enduring house. Your, your house will endure, in spite of all that you're going through. And then she says, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord. And this wasn't one of them. <laughs> When he fought the battles of the Lord, when he stood before Goliath, remember what he said. 
You're coming against the armies of the living God. You're defying the armies of the living God. The battle's the Lord's. So in a sense, what you're saying, David, don't avenge yourself. This is, this is not the Lord's battle. Now, she's been very gracious and very tactful, but read between the lines. This is what she's saying. Now, David, this, it's not the Lord's battle. It's nothing to do with the Lord. This is just you being angry. And I understand that, but don't avenge yourself. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life. That's King Saul she's talking about. She knew. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. David, the Lord has got you in his hand. And neither Saul nor Nabal or anybody else can do you harm. Because God has got you bound up in the bundle of life. Just the way you would take something and, and bundle up something that would be precious. You'd bundle it to spare it, to save it, to protect it. Just saying, God has got you bound up in his hand. Well, she's a very wise woman, isn't she? Very gracious lady, yes. And she said, And the lives of your enemies shall he sling out as from the pocket of a sling. See what she's doing here? She's reminding him of that day he stood in the valley of Ephes Damon facing the giant with just that sling. She says, Remember, David, when that's all you had a sling, look at you now with your 400 armed men armed to the teeth. You don't need this. You, should, you ought not to do this because God will sling your enemies out like a man slinging them out of his sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel. She's reminding him, hey, listen, I know that God has chosen you. It's all going to come to pass. So when it does, that this will be no grief to you nor offensive heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Isn't that a, isn't that a beautiful way to, to diffuse and deflate all that heat and anger and volatility that was there? I mean, it, I mean, it was palpable. When those 400 rode down that mountain, it was palpable, the anger and the, and the, and the heat. And just with wise words and a gracious spirit, she was able to diffuse all of that. What a lovely lady Abigail was. So she says, don't let this be a blot on your record. Don't let this be a stain on your history. It's not worth it. Nabal the scoundrel, he's just a scoundrel. He's not worth it, David. Don't dirty your hands with this. You don't need to do this. You know, the interesting thing is that just prior to this, by the way, when Saul was chasing David with many, many soldiers to kill him, that Saul, because there was lots of caves in those days, big, big caves, that Saul got off his horse and went into one of the caves to relieve himself. And it just so happened in the providence of God, that was the very cave where David was staying. <laughs> And of course, when you come out of the bright light into the darkness, you don't see anything. And he wasn't looking for anything. He wasn't expecting anything. But David saw him. And David 
sneaked up on him with a dagger. Could have killed him. Could have killed him. Any one of his men would have killed him in a heartbeat. And when he got to him, you know what he did? He cut off the skirt of his garment. And you know when he did that, he actually felt bad about it. Because this is the Lord's anointed. Even though he spared him, but even just cutting off the skirt of his garment, he felt bad about that. Because this is the Lord's anointed. And here he is, not a long time after that event. Here he is, in the flesh, angry. But see how Abigail brings him down, makes him think straight. And David said to Abigail, this is verse 32, David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice, and blessed are you, because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, he has kept me back from hurting you. Unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light no meals would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your advice and have respected your person. It takes a big man to admit when they're wrong, doesn't it? And here you are. Here's his admittance. He realizes. He realized he was about to do the worst thing he'd done in a long time. That would have been an awful blot on his record. And only for this lovely, gracious, gentle woman, for sure he would have done it. But then look what happens now. Now Abigail went to Nabal. There he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. Nabal's heart was merry within him for he was very drunk. Not for the first time, you can imagine. Therefore she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light. No point in talking to a drunk man, sure there's none. So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal and his wife had told him these things that his heart died within him and he became like a stone. Ah. Was this a physical thing? Or was this the trauma? The sudden realization that while he had been feasting, he was literally about an hour from being massacred and all the meals in his household. And I think in that moment it dawned on him, truly what a fool he had been probably all of his life. If it hadn't been for his wife, he'd have been dead. And suddenly his heart becomes like a stone and he just sits there saying nothing, traumatized by what he has just heard. 
And then it says, verse 38, Then it happened, after about ten days, the Lord struck a Nabal, and he died. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord, who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal, and has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. Then she arose and bowed her face to the earth and said, Here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. So Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey, attended by five of her maidens. And she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and so both of them were his wives. In fact, most commentators believe that he already had been married, had already taken Ahinoam to be his wife. But Saul had given Michael, his daughter, David's wife, to Palte, the son of Laish, who was from Galim. And that's a whole other story right there. Now what lessons can be learned tonight from Abigail? Briefly, first of all, even though she was locked in a loveless and joyless, soulless marriage with a fill of a husband, but she didn't show any signs of resentment. No sense of relief or even pleasure when somebody else threatened his very life. In fact, she tried to spare him. This speaks of the grace of God, doesn't it? The grace of God. It had to be the grace of God. To be able to live under those circumstances... And to still be such a gentle, gracious lady, it had to be the grace of God. I know a pastor, and I've heard his testimony a couple of times. And he said today, he's a pastor today, he said today, if it hadn't have been for my wife, he said I'd either have been in jail or have been dead. He was a drunkard. He says, I lived, I lived to drink. And he says, to my shame, I put the bottle before my wife and before my children at every and any opportunity. And he says, at the time, it never caused me a thought. But he says, only my wife, in her grace, in her gracious spirit, only for her praying for me and being gracious and helpful, he says, I wouldn't be with you today. That's the grace of God, isn't it? Grace of God is a marvelous thing. Grace of God can help us to do things that ordinarily we just could not do in and of ourselves. It just wouldn't be in our human nature to do it. Secondly, her approach to David showed that she was interested in the affairs of God and her nation. She understood the times that she lived in. Nabal didn't. He wasn't interested in God or the times he lived in, all he cared about was his 3,000 sheep and his 1,000 goats and the money coming and rolling in. That's all he lived for. 
But do you see when she was dealing with David, do you see how she knew the history? you see how she was in tune with all that was happening, the events around her and her nation with Saul, with David, with the kingship and all of that stuff and David being the anointed? She knew all of that. She had listened carefully. She'd heard. She made it her business to know. She was a woman, it says in verse 3, of good understanding. Are you a woman tonight of good understanding? Are you interested in what God's doing in the nation? Or in the nations, for that matter? Are you interested in what God's doing in this world? Do you think about it? Do you read about it? Do you pray about it? She did. And a good job that she did because when she went to David, she knew what to say. Did you notice how many times that she called him Lord and my Lord? Well, I counted them and it's 14 times in eight verses. She recognized his lordship. Nabal didn't recognize his lordship. And one was saved and one was lost. And one was commended and one was condemned. One was given a brand new life and one's life was taken away. Till we recognize the lordship of David's greater son, the Lord Jesus. Because literally life and death is in his hands. Our life and our death is in his hands tonight. So we need to recognize his lordship over us. In a sense, I say in a sense, David was Abigail's savior because he rescued her from this old life of misery and, and the law's demands that tied her to this brute of a man. Now he was an awful man. But it doesn't say he was an adulterer. And so the law's demands was that as long as he was living, she'd have to be with him. Tough, hard, difficult. She did what she could under those law's demands, but still felt frustrated, times empty, maybe even brokenhearted, but never felt free. And all who live under God's laws, demands, will feel that way. Because no matter how good they are, no matter how much they try to keep them, they're always going to feel somewhere down along the line. Only death could free her from the law's demands here in her marriage. And when David's greater son comes into our lives, then the death of the old life releases us from all those demands of the law that we could not keep. Some of us tried to keep them, but we couldn't. And we were condemned continually. But Jesus came into our lives 
and it's death to the old life under the law. And now in grace, we are free to serve and love our new master. Did you get that? The old hymn says it well. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite? No, could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Abigail was a woman of great humility. Even though she was very wealthy, yet her whole demeanor with David showed humility. Remember David's knacks out at this time? He's got this ragtag army made up of men who were in debt and distressed and discontented. They're living in caves and dens. And here's this extremely wealthy woman coming to meet him. Bringing all of these victuals, could we say. And yet she's not patronizing to David. Her tone was very gracious. She bent very low before him. Great wealth and humility doesn't usually sit well together. But this lady managed to have both. So this humble and gracious heart that she had, it touched David's heart. If God should so choose to make you wealthy, none of you are, but if God should so choose to make you wealthy or put you in a place of privilege, then be gracious about it and be humble about it. Because it's the Lord's doing, isn't it? Few people can handle wealth and privilege. Few people. It's been the ruination of many. But not this woman. Then further to that, we're almost finished. Abigail was very brave. She already knew that David was in a mood for murder. He was intent on killing. And she would go out and face him and 400 of his top soldiers by herself. That took a little bit of courage. Doing the right thing is not always easy, is it? It often calls for a little bit of courage. But Abigail had faith in God and she trusted the Lord that that what she would say, that he would help her to, to defuse this situation. And even though she's going out on her own with all these men, itching to kill somebody, and she's from that household, and yet she's very brave because she's doing the right thing. Esther had the, a lot of courage to do the right thing when she had to go in before that pagan king and just hope that he'd hold out the scepter. Because if he didn't hold out the scepter and she went unannounced, it meant death. And there's nothing sure those pagan kings would have killed you on a whim. And she knew that. Took courage to do that. Took courage for Deborah to go to war. 
We're going to be talking about Deborah very shortly, by the way, in this series. What a, what a mighty woman of God she was. She had to go to war. She didn't want to go, but she had to go. We'll tell you why when we come to it. Mary Magdalene, we talked about her. She went to the sealed tomb. The Roman soldiers had sealed it. They were guarding it. But she went anyway. She took some courage. And here is this lovely lady, Abigail, showing this special kind of courage and risking her very life to do the right thing. What would we risk to do the right thing? Maybe it wouldn't be risking our lives, but would it be risking our job? Risking our career? Would it be risking losing a friendship to do the right thing? And then finally, Abigail cared for her household. Believe it or believe it not, she cared enough for that old rascal of a husband to try to get his life spared. Did you hear me? She cared for her household. And the very one who least deserved it, she cared enough to get him spared. In the end, he wasn't spared because God took him. But she cared enough. That takes love, doesn't it? That takes grace. It takes mercy. It takes all kinds of good things of the Spirit to do that, doesn't it? And she did that. Aren't you glad that story's in the Bible? Aren't these stories about the woman, aren't they great? Don't they show... I mean, if this was the New Testament, we were talking about the fruit of the Spirit. All of those lovely things of the Spirit are in the lives of these wonderful, notable women of the Bible. And this woman, Abigail, had it in abundance. She married David. And later on, she had a little boy called Kiliab. David ended up with lots of sons, by the way. And out of the first four sons... Little Kiliab was the only one who wasn't a rascal. <laughs> you read their stories, they were bad, really bad. One raped his sister, for example. And then the other boy, he killed him for it later on. So I mean, they were bad. Little Kiliab wasn't. It seemed to be that God honored this precious lady. And then just as quickly as we come on the scene, then she just drifts out of sight into history. And we hear of her no more. That God has marked her, hasn't he? And the Holy Spirit has saw fit to record her in this Bible. That after thousands of years, we would still talk about her. We'd still be blessed when we read about her. We'd still be challenged by her faith and her courage and her grace and her humility and all those good things that she had. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this very gracious life that we have heard about tonight. 
And somehow, Lord, we look at that and, and we say, Lord, let that be us. Let us have a gracious, humble spirit like Abigail. Let the fruit of your Holy Spirit work in our lives such graces and gifts. And so we thank you tonight. And help us, Lord, to have a, especially, Lord, as your word tells the woman, to have an ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit. And help us men, Lord, to be men, godly men, men that would give example. Not like Nabal, who was a fool, but people, Lord, who reflect Christ in all of his goodness and grace. So we thank you for these wonderful stories that are included in your word. Thank you for their encouragement and their inspiration. We bless you for your word, Lord. We thank you, Lord, it is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. We thank you that it's food for our spirit. And we bless you for it tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well...